Hey, welcome and good morning. Today is Thursday, the 16th of April, and I uh, hope you've got your cup of coffee ready to go. And uh, as we gather around the kitchen table here this morning and continue our look at uh, the sequence of events in end time prophecy. And uh, I, I guess I haven't said this along the way, but um, when did the end times officially start? Uh, was it with the rebirth of the nation Israel? Was it some point after, before? I would suggest in Acts chapter two, uh, the fulfillment of Joel chapter two, when Peter came out and shared uh, the sermon that, uh, uh, that ultimately led to the salvation of, of a few thousand people, um, where he quoted the prophet Joel and talked about how in these last days, men will dream dreams and visions and such and that. And so I would suggest in Acts chapter two, as we read that sermon, we recognize that Peter is saying, that now we have entered into those last days following the cross and resurrection of Christ. And so the last days is a long period of time. However, typically when we refer to the last days, uh, what we're referring to is uh, events that we've been talking about, the rebirth of the nation Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 30 and 39 that we're gonna dive into today. Uh, ultimately the events um, uh, described in Daniel 9 through 12 and Revelation 6 through the rest of the book and all of that. Uh, so um, uh, as we dive into this today, um, recognize that, you know, how far, uh, how much time is left is a question of, you know, that we're still trying to sort out and we'll watch events unfold. But in the larger scheme of things, we are currently in the last days, biblically speaking, according to Peter uh, in, in Acts chapter 2. And so um, I say that because we should be of the mindset that we're watching what's going on around us to make sure that we recognize uh, not just the signs of the times, but to recognize that we are in fact living in the times of those signs. So uh, I would encourage you to go back if you've not watched the previous couple of podcasts as we've talked about the rapture. We've talked about Israel as the centerpiece or the, the, uh, the focal point of, of biblical prophecy. And, uh, and that turns out to bear out here in the passage we're going to look at this morning. And I don't know that we'll do the entire thing today, but we'll definitely dig in. And we're going to start by looking at Ezekiel 38, and we'll see if we, uh, how far we get. But again, my goal is to keep these at about 15, 20 minutes or so. I've done reasonably not well and well on that, but we'll, we'll see how we do. Um, okay, so Ezekiel 38. I'm actually going to read portions of this as we go through it and explain it as we go. Uh, I thought about just doing an overview kind of a thing, but I feel like there's value in, in, in reading through these passages and spending a little time uh, uh, touching on what some of these things are speaking of. And so, again, with my aim that in spending time looking at prophecy, that it would take the edge off for those who are kind of tentative about whether they want to dabble in trying to understand these things. Uh, my encouragement is that we do try to understand them in order to recognize the times in which we're living and ultimately it builds our faith and it encourages us to be excited about the coming of Christ, which is very, very soon. And so, um, so that's why we're taking a little time to break these things down, ultimately so that you in your own home, maybe at your own kitchen table with your own Bible open and, and various commentaries and, and resources, you'll begin to try and become more of, more of a student of this as well. It's exciting stuff and it shouldn't be the kind of thing that's peripheral to our faith. As we mentioned, uh, Paul to the Thessalonians in talking about things like the rapture, encourage them to encourage one another with these things. So this should be a really encouraging topic to dive into and you shouldn't rob yourself of that encouragement by studying it, So, or by not studying it. So let's go ahead and look at uh, Ezekiel 38, where the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel that is. 
uh, and said, Son of man, set your face toward Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and, the proph and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out all uh, and, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with the buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Uh, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth to Garma, uh, from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples with you. Let me stop right there, because I can tell already that you're probably thinking, what on earth is that? Who in the world are these people with these strange names, Gog and Magog and Meshach and Tubal, and, and later on we'll see Sheba and Dedan and these strange names? Let me suggest something to you. The names that we're talking about or that we're reading here in this passage are the names of these places in antiquity. These are the names that these places had at a time when Ezekiel was prophesying and before. Uh, we these same regions, these same geographical places still exist today, but we call them by different names as the years have gone by. Generally speaking, these names refer to uh, uh, people that had been alive at times and lands were named after them or their sons and that kind of a thing. Uh, territories that were named after uh, that kind of a thing have since changed names, but the geographical regions remain the same. And so Ezekiel would not be prophesying about modern day names. He would be prophesying using names of places that were contemporary to him. And so it, it would help us to understand uh, that and then to look at where these geographical regions refer to. So let's start with the beginning. When the Lord, uh, word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and he begins to then prophesy against Gog and Magog. Now Gog uh, speaks of a leader Okay, it's, a, it's referring to a person who is the leader of a land called Magog. Um, as we'll see through Ezekiel 38, um, the land that's referred to uh, is described as being to the uttermost parts of the north. Uh, north makes sense, and uh, the word parts or uttermost is a word that speaks of the extreme direction that is being referred to, so the extreme north. Uh, so when you see this, what, what, what Ezekiel is saying is, uh, Ezekiel is prophesying in Israel. So the point there is the extreme north of Israel uh, is describing who is being spoken to here. The leader of a country that is to the extreme north of Israel. And if you look at a map, you can very easily look at Israel and who is to the extreme north of Israel but Russia. Magog speaks of Russia and therefore Gog is the leader of of Russia that is being referred to. Uh, and so, and it's important to remember that Ezekiel is prophesying about events that will take place down the road. And, and those events, by the way, have not happened yet. And so when we talk about the coming scenario unfolding of Ezekiel 38 and 39, what we're talking about is what Ezekiel is prophesying about here 2,500 years ago about events that are going to unfold soon, okay? Or at some point, but as we continue to move down forward and as we unfold this passage, we'll see that the things that Ezekiel is describing have in fact been coalescing in our day. Uh, and this is not just trying really hard to find a way to piece it together to make it seem like this is happening. No, when we, when we look at who the names of these countries are and what they're referring to in our modern day geography, you will find out just by simply reading the news today 
that the relationships that are formed between Gog and Magog, the, the Russia and its leader, and the countries around that are, that are mentioned are in fact the same relationships that he describes there, and they are active today. And we'll describe in what ways as we go. Um, so Gog is the leader of Magog, which speaks of the leader then of Russia. And I will put a little asterisk there. Some people, uh, because of who's named next, uh, in other words, Meshach and Tubal, that area speaks to geographic Turkey today. Uh, there are some, because of the sort of closeness of this mention here in Ezekiel, that have deduced that maybe it's not Russia, but maybe it's Turkey and its leader, or today, if, if it turned out to unfold today, that would speak, therefore, of, of, uh, of Erdogan, who is the leader of Turkey. Some have supposed that maybe Gog and Magog speaks to the leader of Turkey. And if you look at a map, you can see that just right up across the Mediterranean from Israel is Turkey. And so that could be. However, Turkey is not the uttermost north or the extreme north from Israel. Uh, and also there are reasons why um, uh, I don't personally think that it's speaking of Turkey, because I don't think Turkey will have quite the same far-reaching uh, uh, far reach that Russia and its leader have in the region. And again, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but that's who we're speaking about here, I believe. Gog and Magog would speak of the leader of Russia to the extreme north of Israel. Uh, he says uh, to uh, Gog and the chief prince uh, in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Now again, looking geographically at that region, we're talking about the Turkic area, Turkey uh, uh, and that region. Uh, just to the north of where Israel is situated. Um, uh, and prophesy against him, again, the leader of, of this band of nations that is forming, and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Uh, the leader here of, again, I believe Russia, is also in a position of authority over the area of Turkey. Uh, and God is against him. Okay, this leader who is, is starting to amass these nations together is standing in opposition to God, and God is against this. Okay? Um, and we'll see as it unfolds that he is against them ultimately because they are, uh, or I should say that we'll find expression as they come against Israel, and God ultimately uh, begins to thwart or totally throws down that, 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 that attack against Israel as, as the passage unfolds. He says, I will turn you about, and I will put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army and horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Before I go on, it, he refers there of putting hooks in the jaws and bringing them out into this arena where they will ultimately come against Israel. Um, how does God do that? How does God bring them in? Well, um, you know, if you... If you uh, well, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but let me just kind of interject this here. Um, Israel, as the focal point of unfolding prophecy, uh, becomes the center of the attack of all of these nations. And later on, uh, after Ezekiel 30 and 39, when we get to the final uh, battle, you know, ultimately uh, culminating in Armageddon and the throwing down of these nations that come to, to come against Israel and destroy her, um, in this conflict, it's localized. It's in the Middle Eastern region. There's a bunch of nations in this area, but it is somewhat localized. In that one later, described in Daniel and Revelation um, and, uh, and elsewhere, but in, specifically in those places where we see what's described, that becomes a global conflict 
all nations will come against Israel in that day. Uh, and so it's a different conflict. Uh, and, and I mentioned that in part to make sure that we understand these are two different events that take place. I think Ezekiel 38 and 39 will have a lot to do with what leads up to the next one, Armageddon ultimately, and, and, and all that surrounds that. But they are separate. Okay. Um, so what is it that puts the hooks in the jaws to bring Russia and these other nations that we'll continue to name up against Israel? Uh, well, the hooks in the jaws, um, you know, again, uh, Ezekiel is seeing a vision. So he's seeing things that are figurative or, um, uh, or, or, or at least from heaven's perspective of how these things unfold. But how does that look here on earth? Um, well, it could be economic things. It could be just simple military conquest, a desire to, con to conquer Israel. Uh, my sense is, is that as the passage unfolds, we see that they're going after Israel to get some spoil from her, okay? Um, um, as, as these nations come in, they want to take things from Israel. And so what is that spoil? What could draw them to want to do that? Well, it could be oil. Uh, Israel has a rich oil reserve. Uh, it could be technology. Israel is a bleeding edge technology leader. And so there could be any number of things. Uh, when Israel came back in the land in 1948, it was uh, both desert and swamp. There was nothing there that was uh, worthwhile to anybody. Uh, and then uh, uh, the Jews began to plant and cultivate. Uh, they planted eucalyptus trees all over the swamps that began to soak up the water. And ultimately, uh, the, the land became a rich and deeply fertile place. And now it's like a, uh, it's a whole different kind of a thing. And there are many things about Israel that would be sought after. Um, now that's on a practical, maybe economic or military level. Um, the other hook in the jaws, I think that will ultimately bring uh, Russia and certainly all of these other nations uh, against Israel, uh, in, in a word, is Islam. Uh, many, um, most all of these nations are either entirely Muslim or many of them have very strong, uh, constantly growing Muslim populations. And there is, uh, uh, there should take no imagination whatsoever to understand the conflict between Islam and Judaism. That conflict has gone back to the days of Isaac and Ishmael, really, within uh, the house of Abraham. And so, um, uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that that, that conflict would find uh, this ongoing conflict for the last many thousands of years now, ultimately it becomes uh, the foundation for so much of why this battle will take place as well. Uh, more on that as we kind of unfold it, but I'll go on for now. So they're coming militarily against Israel. And he goes on in verse 5 and continues to describe what nations are going to join in. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, uh, all with uh, helmet and shield, uh, shield and helmet. Gomer with all his hordes. Bet Tagarma, or the table or house or the land of Tagarma from the uttermost parts of the north again with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. In other words, there is this mass conflagration of troops. From the, all the way up from the extreme north, all the way through these areas, and even not only from the north, but even around her as well. Um, except for the Mediterranean, virtually all around Israel, uh, she is being surrounded by enemies who are coming against her based on the nations that are named here. So who are these people? Well, we mentioned that uh, Magog speaks of Russia, Meshach and Tuval speak of Turkey. Uh, the word Rosh in some of your translations here, uh, in, in my particular, I use the ESV, uh, the word Rosh didn't come up in there, but the word Rosh in some of your translations uh, speaks of the leader. It's a term that speaks of a chief or a head. So it says the chief prince uh, of, of, um, of Meshach and Tubal, speaking of the leader. And the word Rosh, by the way, 
uh, comes literally comes from a word that uh, that uh, many have connected the dots with speaking of Russia. Uh, in English, we say Rosh, the, the ultimate etymology of the word has led many to believe that that is another evidence that we're talking about Russia. Uh, so the jury's a little bit out on some of those things, but not too much. I think it's pretty solid. So, but okay, who are these other nations? Uh, Persia, that's easy. Uh, you almost don't even need to know anything about geography to know that Persia or the Persians speak of that area of Iran. Iran itself was called Persia up until not, I mean, it's, it's part of ancient history, but even in modern day history, some maps uh, uh, that don't go too far back, you can see where clearly that's the area that's being spoken of. It's called Persia. Cush and Put speak of Ethiopia and Libya. So we've kind of gone around to the south now into the African continent. Um, and these troops will come up as well. Uh, troops from these countries will come up well. Gomer is a little bit harder to pin down, but generally speaking, uh, it, it is likely referring to some of the uh, Eastern uh, European Iron Curtain kinds of countries. Uh, in particular, um, uh, when Ashkenaz is uh, mentioned in relationship to this, Ashkenaz uh, is a son of Gomer. And so, uh, matter of fact, Ashkenazi Jews refer to German Jews. And so it may very well be that when we talk about Gomer, we're talking about the Germanic area there. And so uh, Gomer may be speaking of Eastern Europe, sort of in the area of, of Germany. Um, Tagarma speaks uh, of Armenia and Georgia, likely. Again, Turkic connection, but more specifically, maybe speaking of Armenia. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was mentioning earlier about Erdogan um, uh, making no secret about wanting to uh, ultimately um, be the head of an area that revives the Ottoman Empire, uh, he basically has said, and in one of the Armenian newspapers uh, reported uh, that it was no secret that he had equated modern-day Turkey with a continuation of the Ottoman Empire. So he has designs as well. But Tergarma speaks likely of the Armenian area. Uh, we're going to see shortly another country. I'll mention them here now, and then we'll come back to it next time. But Sheba and Didan. Uh, again, we don't call the area of the Middle East by that name anymore that it refers to. Currently, we call it Saudi Arabia. And Sheba and Didan, different from these other countries that we've described so far, is not involved in the conflict except to be on the sidelines, sort of rebuking these nations that are coming against Israel. And along with them is, uh, is uh, a nation called Tarshish, and there is reference to her young lions. And here's where I'm going to wrap for today, and then we'll go further into this next time. But when we talk about um, Tarshish, uh, there is some debate about whether this refers to the area of Great Britain or Spain. So across, uh, you know, much more to the west and, 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 and such. But, uh, but these nations who are mentioned here but are not directly involved in the conflict, in other words, they don't come against Israel, but they also don't necessarily come to her aid either. Uh, and so uh, Saudi Arabia, interestingly, in modern times under Mohammed bin Salman, uh, who is uh, the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia at this point and is quite progressive and is uh, of a different kind of mindset in some regards than previous uh, kings of Saudi Arabia, even his father in many respects, um, uh, is actually much more open to doing business with Israel, uh, has actually lent aid to Israel in some ways. Um, however, when the conflict that we're describing in Ezekiel 38 comes about, Saudi Arabia will not come to Israel's aid and fight alongside of her. But Saudi Arabia also will not fight against her either. 
which sets her in a kind of a unique place in the Muslim world. Um, Trump's uh, peace plan, uh, the first portion, the economic plan that came out, drew many Muslim nations together economically uh, into the fold. But I think that once this conflict starts, uh, those, uh, those things will be set aside. And, and, and the Muslim nations, by and large, again, with the exception of Saudi Arabia, will by and large come against Israel. Now, what about Tarshish and her young lions? Um, one of the questions that, is, uh, because we're Americans, if you're watching this in the United States, um, uh, and if you're not, thank you for watching, by the way. I know a few people outside of the United States have watched this podcast, and, and that's wonderful. I appreciate uh, your, your watching. But if you are living in the United States, it's hard to imagine a world or a conflict of this kind of magnitude, especially involving Israel, uh, and uh, our closest ally in the region, and, uh, and a nation that we stand with, certainly currently, and, and with varying degrees. We've stood with them over the years uh, since, you know, since after they were established uh, as a nation in 48. Um, certainly right now, we stand very firmly with them. Um, how are we not mentioned here anywhere in, in this conflict? How is it that we don't seem to play a part? Well, let me say that the only possible connection that we may have with this is if, in fact, Tarshish speaks of Britain and her young lions refers to those offspring of her, um, it may very well be that we are among those young lions who are like Tarshish and like Saudi Arabia, not directly getting involved in the conflict, either defending Israel or coming against her, but we're just sort of rebuking those or speaking and questioning out against those who are attacking her. Um, we don't play a part for some reason, so it begs the question, if that's even referring to us, we don't play a significant role in the conflict. How is that possible if we're an ally of Israel and we're, we're close friends with them? What would keep us from being involved in that conflict? Well, this is obviously uh, uh, up, up to debate and speculation. We don't know for sure, but it would, it would likely either mean that we have sort of really grown cold to Israel in some respects, um, or it may very well be that we are not really up to it. Uh, it may be that in some ways we have been weakened in a way where we don't have the capacity to really come and get involved in a conflict of that size there to play a part. There's a lot of possibilities as to why we don't seem to be, uh, if we're mentioned at all, we're not mentioned prominently. Being a superpower that we are, it's hard to imagine that we wouldn't be involved in that conflict unless there was some reason we couldn't be. Um, again, there's a lot of speculation as to why that might be. It could very well be that we are on the global scene, when that finally happens, something has made us somewhat irrelevant in that conflict uh, or in global affairs. Hard to imagine, but you know, under our current circumstances, if you're watching this years from now, uh, we're living during a time when there is this disease going around, this virus called COVID-19 or coronavirus. And within just a space of a few months, we have found ourselves as Americans, much like most citizens of the world in virtually every single country, uh, we are quarantining ourselves. We're, we're sort of shutting everything down. We're economically at a point now where there's going to be some, uh, it's hard to imagine there aren't gonna be some extremely important economic problems that come out of the amount of time that we've been shutting everything down. So there's, it's not hard to imagine how we might be marginalized a little bit during this time. Uh, and if we don't have as vested an interest in the Middle East that's worth the cost of going to war there, that may be why we don't get involved in it. Or it may just very well be that Tarshish is referring to Spain and we don't have any mention at all. 
It's hard to say. This is one of those areas that is uh, subject to discussion and debate. We don't know for sure. Uh, all we can do is look at the current circumstances and sort of do our homework and figure out who's being referred to here. But uh, don't let this be one of those things that sways you from understanding prophecy, but it is one of those places that reminds us that we approach it with a measure of humility and recognize that sometimes we have to wait to see how things pan out to gain further insight into how these things, uh, what's ultimately being described here. But uh, that being said, uh, what we have described as far as who these nations are and some of the reasons as to why they might come against Israel are pretty sound. And so I, I, would, I, would, I would recommend you continue to read through Ezekiel 30 and 39, and we will pick it up right about here tomorrow. So thanks for joining, and, um, and I really appreciate that, uh, that you want to study these things and that you want to grow and learn. Uh, it, uh, my hope is that these things, again, really are helpful and instructive and encouraging uh, in your own approach to reading the Word of God, which has got to be the centerpiece of your life as a believer, drawing close to the Lord by knowing about Him and learning of Him in His Word. And so let me pray as we close, and I look forward to, to continuing tomorrow. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that you have made known uh, in great detail the things that are yet to come. And you've helped us to, to be able to read them and to understand them, in some, at least at some level, so that we can prepare ourselves for what is coming down the pike. Now, we don't know if the rapture is going to come before uh, these events unfold or whether it's going to come after. Uh, we know that it will come, uh, that we will be snatched away before the Antichrist ultimately comes on the scene very likely. And, uh, and what that means is that as close as all these events, events might be, your coming to bring us home is even closer. And so we just thank you for that hope and that glorious uh, hope that you've given us. And we pray that that would affect the way we live our lives, prioritizing you and knowing you and walking with you in, this, in these days as the supreme priority by which all under other things are measured in our lives. And so we uh, thank you, we praise you and bless you and ask you to help us to continue to grow in our knowledge of your word, even the hard things, to dig in and to know them because there is rich reward in doing so. Thank you, Father, for all of this and watch over us until we meet again and let these teachings continue to help us to dig into your word and to know you ultimately better. As we seek to know the word of God, it's that we might come to know all the better the God of the word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.